Hey there, I'm Jo and this is Looking Outside, the podcast that explores new perspectives beyond the familiar. I am a CPG innovator and with this show, I'm seeking a fresh take on business topics with some of the most influential and original thinkers. If you find yourself curiously peeking over the fence at what is happening outside your market, industry, or field of knowledge, then this show will help you to explore more of that. Hey everyone, welcome back to Looking Outside. Today we are looking outside the human. What do I mean by that? How we can leverage our own humanity to be better ourselves and to do better at work. So today I'm incredibly honored and so, so excited to have Michelle Gansley on the show. Michelle is a rock star in the insights and marketing world. She has been a mentor to me. I've had the honor of working with and for her at Mars. And above all, I consider Michelle a friend and one of the most human people that I have ever met. So what I mean by that is what we're going to explore in the episode. So hey, Michelle. Hi, Joe. It's so exciting to chat with you. Very exciting for me too. So for those you know, two people listening that don't know who you are, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. My name is Michelle Gansley. I am a Texan learning to survive in Chicago. Um, originally a marketer who accidentally and happily fell into the world of insights. I spent 15 years of my most recent career working at Mars and in a short period of time of that with you. And then um, more recently changed industry and I now work for McDonald's um, leading their global insights team. What I love about your introduction is that you said, I am a Texan. It's the first thing that you said. I feel like this is very connected to this conversation that I want to have about how you bring the human into everything that we do. So how important is it for you to bring who you are personally, your history, how you develop as a you know a human being outside of work into work yeah I mean it's interesting because being an Australian you maybe see it differently but in the U.S. there tends to be a culture of not bringing yourself to work it's like you have your work persona and your at home persona but that's not realistic you bring your personal self into work whether you try to avoid that or not and so I just firmly believe we would be happier, more engaged, and more successful if we can find that balance of being our true self in whatever persona we're living in, whether that's our relationships or friendships or work. And, you know, trying to connect, I guess, on a deeper level with the people that you're working with by more, you know, truly understanding what motivates them and who they are as people. Um, so in the U.S. in particular, do you find that people do have a little bit of a wall put up? And is that um, hard to break? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I actually think people are open to it, but just like parenting, there's no manual that comes with how do you go from being an individual contributor to a line manager or leader. And I think most people are naturally not that great at it, especially in the beginning, unless you put a lot of energy and effort into either formally reading, doing training classes, or put a lot of energy and effort into mentors or into personally just trial and erring. So people are naturally responsive. Like everybody wants to feel special. They want to bring their true selves and their strengths to work. It's just a matter of pulling that out of people. Um, that is, you know, one of the things that I enjoy doing that makes the way I approach work and managing people different than other people do. And so I'm curious, have you, you've been a line manager for a while. Have you always been this way or is this sort of a skill that you've built over time? 
I mean, it's definitely nature and nurture. I think the nature part is that I'm naturally a curious person who loves to develop personally and professionally. So I do a lot of training. I've had mentors in my life. I'm always thinking about how I can improve. So I naturally bring that. I definitely messed up a ton and I still messed up a ton in my career. And it it certainly is trial and error, but it's also um, having had great formal training and coaching and, and having great mentors. So, you know, at Mars, we talk about the 70, 20, 10 rule, which is, uh, I think that's like a McKinsey or a Corn Ferry framework, but that I really believe in that, right? That 70% of it's just trial and error and learning on the job. 20% is mentoring and 10% is formal training. And I think um, a lot of people don't do that 20 and 10 piece because they deprioritize it over the 70 or the work. You know, with the how humble your statement before even was, you know, that you, you, you know, you've had your own failures in your career, sort of laying them out on the table with the people that you work with is very much sort of leading by example, right? So you're creating this environment where people um, can be honest about the things that work, the things that don't work and don't feel like they need to be this perfect robot at work (laughs) yeah so true that is so true why do we feel like we have to be perfect at work when we're certainly not perfect anywhere else in our lives Mm. although you know one thing I've been thinking about lately which I don't know if you've read any of Brene Brown's stuff but she talks about like the difference between being vulnerable and emotionally dumping or oversharing Mm -hmm. and like being vulnerable doesn't mean literally like dumping all your problems onto your team or sharing everything that's happening in your life. My own personal journey of trying to find that right balance of being open and being vulnerable and admitting mistakes, but not uh, doing it in a way that's like, I don't know, disengaging or losing trust with other people. It's a fine line. Yeah. And you know, I can imagine that you, you want the people that are working particularly underneath you or for you to have a lot of confidence in you that you've got everything under control and everything's on this, you know, path that it's meant to be on. So showing a little bit of vulnerability in that process would be quite scary. What's the sort of, oh, I don't know if you, you can answer this question, but what's this like scariest, most vulnerable human moment that you've had at work? That's a good question. We went through a massive reorganization several years ago um, when in my past company. And in that, I'm naturally an optimistic person who just sees like the positive and everything. And in this situation, no one was getting laid off and everybody was either going to be in a similar role or even a better role. And so I kind of preemptively led into this is going to be great for you and for us and for the company and everything's going to be wonderful and I'm so happy this is happening. And then when I shared it all out, there was like a universal either disappointment or upset and mixed emotions. And it's because people felt like I was meeting them where they were and that I was being overly optimistic and that I set them up to get more than what they were getting. And it was just like a huge awakening to me of how like how important it is to manage people's emotions and expectations and to try to be neutral in those situations because being too negative or too positive isn't great either, which I never realized that it's possibly be too positive, but I have since learned that it is. Managing like a massive change like that, you'd be dealing with a lot of emotions. So how much, how much of leadership do you find is almost like being a personal psychiatrist <laughs> to the people that you oh my that gosh. you lead? So so much of our job is doing that is just managing people's emotions and feelings and 
Um, it is like being a, a therapist, psychiatrist, but luckily I've, because of my personal life, I do a lot of personal and professional development. I feel like I've picked up a lot of like tools and techniques along the way to help mm-hmm. with that. And one of them, which is my favorite, which I'll share in this, and you guys can use it too, is, and maybe I've done it with you before, is the notebook exercise. Have mm-hmm. I done that with you or the phone? Like you pick a notebook or a piece of paper up and like I'm showing you my phone right now, which people can't see, but I'm like, what do you see? And you would say... An apple. And, but I would say that's like, you're wrong because that's not what I see. We can agree it's a phone, but I see black and I don't see an apple. And this is what happens so much of the time is that we're looking at the same thing. We're just looking at it from different sides. Mm-hmm. And we never stop to say, help me understand, why do you see an apple? Like, that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing black and inviting the person over to see what you're seeing or vice versa. And so, so much of the time, people's emotions or upset at work has to do with like either personal triggers or misunderstandings. So I feel like my job is just to help people take it out of it, feeling and being personal and trying to put themselves in the shoes of other people or situations. And I can imagine a lot of the skill that you need to have in managing all of that and particularly managing emotions is patience. You know, I think um, a lot of the lack of empathy or the lack of sympathy that we have for other people at work is, well, you're coming to work, you're meant to put all of that aside. Um, You're meant to show almost like a different version of yourself. And so there's no time for us to sort of wallow in the the emotional side of things. So um, how how much of sort of recognizing that emotions play a really important role in how, you know, we operate and how efficient and effective we are as workers do you consider when you're leading? I mean, what's so interesting about that question is that like there's all kinds of data and literature um, on how important it is for people to feel happy, engaged, you know, that they have a best friend at work. It's all the reasons why the 12 questions that Gallup asks in their engagement survey is all based on like data and science, right? So that idea that there's no time for emotions or dealing with people's feelings or energies is the reason why we have you know, 20% attrition turnover rate or why we have people being disengaged or ineffective. So uh, I would say that it's not just a nice thing to do from a human point of view. There is an ROI to investing in people and making sure they feel heard and understood and brought along the journey and motivated and all those things. I'm sure you've seen how rewarding it can be when people do feel that way and then they give give you more, more than you ask. Um, so one thing that you're, you were really famous for at Mars Wrigley, and I'm hoping that you've carried this over in, in McDonald's, is your out-of-office messages. Um, <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, um, sometimes I would just email Michelle when she was on leave just to see what she was up to. And it's like, I'm scuba diving in the Great Barrier Reef. Don't contact me. <laughs> and a lot of it um, really came across as, you know, you were putting that out there to say, hey, we need to take the time for ourselves. We need to have fun and we need to explore and learn new things. So you, you always uh, came across to me like someone who really, you know, you push yourself outside of your comfort zone and you, you try to, you know, what you were saying before, learn by doing. So putting yourself into these situations where you can stretch yourself as a, as a person outside of work so that you can then come back refreshed and become a better person in work. Well, that is um, a very high compliment, and probably more than I had self-analyzed. Um, <laughs> I do, I do think there is some magic in taking risks, because the more risk you take anywhere in your life, the more comfortable you get with it, and the more you're likely to take more risks. So there is some, there is like actual theory behind that. Uh, 
I don't know that I'm always that intentional. I'm just naturally a curious person. But the out of office messages, I think, is more that idea of bringing my human self to work and you know letting people know not just that I'm out of office, but what I'm doing and where I'm going, and and also having fun. We tend to be so serious. You know, I always joke like there's no such thing as a gum or a hamburger emergency. But <laughs> man, we take our jobs so seriously. But we should be having fun. We both at Mars Wrigley and in McDonald's, like our whole mission and vision is to bring smiles to people's faces and bring moments of joy. So we should be having those same moments of joy and smiles at work. Yeah, definitely. And I think also probably recognizing that the, the the careers that we have, the roles that we have, what we show up to do and get paid for is a privilege, right? It's it's a very lucky position to be in. Like I get to sit in a desk with my dog behind me, sometimes barking during meetings. And actually, sure. you know, uh, it is it is a fun job. So I think enjoying what you do is so important. It's something that I've definitely tried to carry into, into what I do. And fun and enjoyment also I think is very connected to passion and how do you pull you know what you're personally passionate about what energizes you as a person into the projects at work how much of you know really understanding what drives you personally have you pulled into your career yeah absolutely I would say 80 90 percent we all have parts of our jobs that aren't uh, our passion or don't align directly with our strengths but you know, that whole concept of people are more likely to be effective if they're living into their strengths and trying to fix their faults or deficiencies. I wholeheartedly ascribe to that. And so often in corporate world, we spend all these energies saying all the things you don't measure up to and all the ways you need to improve those things. But actually, we should just focus on what you're really good at and find workarounds for the parts you're not good at. And there's always somebody who's going to be good at the things you're not good at. So that idea of when we talk about having diverse teams, we mean that beyond just color of skin or ethnicity, but also diversity of strengths and thinking. And, and that's how you get to the magic of people working at their very best. So you can pull together that right mix of people that create the sums of the, you know, parts of some, what is the sum of the parts? Some of the parts? Some of the part, the parts of the, of the part. whole? <laughs> <laughs> Insert awesome analogy here. Yes. <laughs> So one of the things I think we do at work, though, is we we try to come to consensus and get to the action. Like, what are we all aligned on that we can move forward on? And so there's very little room generally to have even just the time to have that discourse around the diversity of thinking and the different perspectives and sort of challenging, you know, is this the right thing to be doing? Have we really unpicked the consumer insight here? So how do you find the time for that or make the time for that to bring those diverse perspectives in? Yeah, I mean, I challenge every time I hear the word, which of course we all hear all the time, I don't do X because I don't have time. I always challenge that because the reality is we find time for the things that are important and we don't find time for the things that are not. Um, And we all do a bunch of non-value added stuff in our day that if we just took a second to say, what's the worst thing that would happen if I didn't make that meeting or if I didn't do that thing or if I told that person, you can't have that next week, but you can have that in two weeks. There's We, we create our own sense of busyness and lack of prioritization. And I think we, we don't make time for it because we don't want to look inward or we don't want to have those uncomfortable conversations or we don't know how, whatever, fill in the blank of the reasons why we don't do what we say we want to do. But it's never really about time. 
I feel like what you were saying before really links in with, you know, understanding, you know, what you're passionate about, but also what you're, what you're good at, what your strengths are. And you mentioned at the start, your superhuman powers. So what are your superhuman powers? Um, And how important is it to find the time, (laughs) make the time (laughs) to figure out your own superpowers before you start to help others find theirs? So I always say my superpower is connecting people, dots, and resources. And I say that because I think um, I'm good at understanding people and what they need and then saying, oh, you know where you could get that or find that is this thing or seeing disparate ideas and synthesizing and be like, oh, you know what? I think X, A plus B plus C equals this thing. So I always liken it to that movie, The Beautiful Mind, where the dude has like the wall of all the stuff and he can see patterns out of it. That's like how my brain works. But um, in terms of like, do you need that first before you can help others? I don't think that's true. I think everybody should focus on what their superhuman powers or strengths are so that you can be happier, more effective in work and personal life. But in order to help others find that, like I used to teach swimming. And I was not a great swimmer. I knew how to swim and I knew technically how to be the perfect swimmer, but I was a pretty average swimmer, but I was a great swim teacher because it's easy to see someone else swimming and correct them. If you understand the technique and you've got the tools like resources and videos and ability to explain it in a simple, easy way. So I could help other people become great swimmers even though I was only an average swimmer. So my point to that is like, I don't need to know that I'm good at connecting people to help you figure out your superhuman power. It's it's just a technique of like asking questions and helping you to uncover it for yourself. But I do think it's easier when you have someone helping you than when you try to do it yourself. Because just like if I asked you what's great about you, Joe, you would probably minimize that answer. But if I asked five people what's great about you, they'd probably get to a similar conclusion about what's great about you. Mm, yeah, it's a really interesting observation also I think for someone that lives and breathes inside, right, it's inside of insights <laughs> and, you know, the ob- observing people and watching how people behave and potentially those things that they're not aware of themselves and, you know, inside of the, the field or the industry of insights, that, that that's our business, right, is to come up with, you know, that deeper understanding of human beings so that we can create for them or create with them. Um, and there's been this big movement inside of insights in the last few years, and you really champion this at Mars to move away from using the word consumer to using the word human. How important is that? How important is language in changing how we think about something? Yeah, I think it's I think it's super important in general, but even more important in corporate America where there's so many buzzwords and language carries so much meaning. Uh, But I do love this move from consumer to humans. And I think the reason why the world has moved so quickly to that is because I think COVID has shaken. It's like um, having a bunch of dice in a jar and you shake it up. It's still all the same dice, but it's like in a different order and in an order that's not repeatable or expected. And so people are realizing that the world is more complex than just consumers in the context of our categories. But everything that's happening in the world in the context of our personal lives, our family lives, our community, and the world context is affecting decisions that we're making. And so now all of a sudden, it's it's great for us as insights people, all of a sudden there is this deep need and desire to understand humans more holistically, which I'm thrilled about. 
Mm. You know, I was um, looking at your, uh, you know, some of the companies that you've worked for in the past. And, uh, you know, I noticed you had, you know, Dell computers and, you know, the way that you would create an insight for someone, you know, working on a computer. I think in the past you would create something very specific and tailored for them versus someone eating a candy bar mm-hmm. or a hamburger. Uh, but now we're realizing that this is the same person that's yeah. probably eating a hamburger over their computer. Yeah. But are there human insights that you would pull out depending on the industry or maybe the market that you're in? I mean, of course, context is everything, right? Health as it relates to food industry like ours is going to look different than health as it relates to the tech industry or to the automobile industry, right? So I do think context, of course, matters, but health is still a pervasive conversation, right? If, whether it's physical mm. or mental health, you could still apply that to any industry as an example. Um, so yeah, I think it, context will, will always matter. And so understanding the context and you mentioned before you're you're a curious person so I can imagine that you do a lot of people watching and uh, you know analysis of the different contextual environmental changes that are happening in the world um, so I'm curious is there anything that you've noticed that surprised you um, in digging into human beings in the last few years something that you just completely didn't anticipate hmm. well when I talk about it a lot, but really is your insight, so I hope that you don't mind if I share it, is this whole idea of the joy of misbehaving and how people, after um, impact of spending two years largely locked up in rural followings, people are just yearning for those little moments of joy and misbehavior. And I was, <laughs> last uh, July or August, I was in Vegas for a couple days, and boy, was that like an extreme example of that, because people were just like going crazy, like 10x what they normally would, and you could just tell, like whether it's having that dessert that you normally wouldn't have, or spending a little bit more money, or even just taking a vacation at all, where some people might not have, I just really see this um, insight around wanting to like break free from rules and regulations and being good. I think that's a a really, um, it's a really fun one as well when we think about, you know, how that can, that kind of thinking can be applied in balance of the control that people Mm -hmm. are seeking. So um, I think one of the really interesting things about human beings is that they're contradictory yeah. and that, you know, you have these trends and then you have these counter trends mm-hmm. and it's it's so interesting sort of digging into both sides of it, which takes me back to the office or the, the virtual office. How do you bring that into people leadership? So understanding that this version of this person that you have hired, they potentially have this duality to them as a human being um, and that you know therefore the, they might vary day to day and that they might not always agree with you how do you manage that yeah that is a good question well can I give um, wait first some McDonald's example and then but it's interesting about that duality of is the other side of joyous misbehaving is this like need to be more careful and take less risks Um, especially around like health and safety. And it's funny how you see that play out in McDonald's stores in two ways. One, because people are more risk averse and they want, then they're less likely to be explorer. Like McDonald's wins out because it's a brand that's been around for over a hundred years. It's known, we've taken huge precautions to be safe and clean, et cetera. But also people are buying more the average check is going up because people are upgrading to those fries or having that dessert or buying that extra burger. So it's funny to see both sides of that play out in the same context. A great example of the duality is 
parents with small kids do not want their kids largely. I know this is a controversial topic, so I hope this doesn't backfire on me. But largely, many parents with kids don't want their kids doing remote learning for various reasons, but especially because it creates extra strain on them to now be a parent and a chef and an IT and a teacher. But they also largely don't want to have to go back into the office for the same reason. So they don't want their kids, they want their kids to go to school despite the safety risks, but they don't want to go in the office because of the safety risks. So it's like funny yeah, to see that play out. But I, but there's different motivating reasons, right? So everything is like, what's more of a risk to me or what's a, more of a payoff or to me? So you have to like understand again, what's what's their motivations or what's, what's the um, trade-offs that they're weighing in order to help understand why they could be seemingly contradictory. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's such a, such a true, true <laughs> example of something that we're seeing in the world. Um, and you mentioned there, you know, understanding people's motivations and why they do what they do. And I think that one thing that you're really great at is rallying the troops. So whether it's doing a roadshow or or creating a new team or putting a case together for something, creating advocates for change inside of a business and you've undergone a few transformations in your time. How do you do that so effectively and how much of that is about understanding the motivations of other people and building empathy for them? Well, thank you that you say it's effective. I don't know that I've always been effective <laughs> or that I am, I am always effective, but I think because I have a high self-awareness and awareness of others, I can read into energies and that's helpful. But I think a lot of it's just asking for feedback and asking for help. I remember one of my mentors once is like, you worry so much about having the answer, but actually you're never, your answer is never gonna be good as like the collective group of people you're working with. So far better is to lay out what's the direction you wanna go and use the, the whole collective consciousness of the group to help you get there. So I don't know if you feel that that was true, but you know, with me, I didn't come and tell you, this is how we're gonna do foresight. We co-created it together. Right, with the help of mm. other smart people. So I think the answer lies in never assuming you have the answer. The co-creation piece I think is really important as well is not only finding the advocates, but making them at least feel like they're a part of the creation journey, if not actually leveraging you know, what inputs they have into that. Um, and I think one other thing that you're, you're really um, great at is aside from you know just really understanding the human being and understanding people's motivations and how you interact with them is a continually you know, pushing yourself to look outside, which leads me very awkwardly to my last question. Um, what you, you know, when you're thinking about continually learning more about yourself, pushing yourself into the you know, the fear zone or uncomfortable areas, what's your go-to? Uh, I guess a few things. One, I attend a lot of conferences and I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, so that's kind of in that 70-20-10 idea. That's like more the formal way. I also ask a lot of people who I know have faced similar challenges or doing something similar, like how do you handle this or what tools, techniques or resources did you use? Um, I guess and the third is just by doing, like by setting risk for myself, making it almost like a little, I don't know, goal or competition and being intentional about what that thing is. So for example, I had this one thing where I tried to do something, one take one new risk every month that was a couple years ago, um, but this year it's I'm trying to read one new book every month. So mm-hmm. trying to set little goals like that I think helps to create progress. Oh, can I tell you what book I just read that's like blew my mind? Have you yes, heard please. of? Um, I think it's Dan Heath. I hope I don't get there. It's either Dan or Chip Heath. They normally write books together, but this one he wrote by himself. It's called Upstream. Have you heard of it? I have heard of it. Yeah. So good. It's one of the best books I read in a long time. Blew my mind away. Oh. Amazing. I'm definitely going to have a read of that one. And 
I need to know what your next trip away is going to be. And I think you're you're heading over to Spain. I already did Spain, uh, but you know I'm trying to do two new countries a year, and this year um, is Argentina is one of my two new ones. But so I'm going to Argentina in February. I feel like I need to do almost like a checklist with you of like, have you bungee jumped? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like extreme sport things. So bungee jumping, jumping out of a plane, anything like that. I'm not those kinds of risks. I'm not going to do. Maybe that's like Michelle in 2023 is one extreme activity per month. <laughs> oh <laughs> to my really God. push yourself outside your comfort zone. No, I tried to do um, trapeze jumping like when you jump from a thing like 25 feet up in the air and I didn't even realize I was going to be scared until I got up there and had a panic attack but I always in those cases say like I'll try it three times before I give up and so I did three different jumps and I was like nope I'm done and same with skiing I did skiing three times and I was like I'm done so (laughs) I'll try it three times and that's it that's fair. Well, Michelle, such a pleasure talking to you. And I just love how, um, as, as everyone listening to this can tell, Michelle is just so down to earth, so personable, and just always brings the human into everything that, that you do. And I think there's a lot for, for everyone to take away from that. So thank you for being you. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for being you and for being in my life. What a rock star. I hope Michelle made you think about what your own superhuman power is. If you enjoyed the conversation today, please do review and share it. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, keep looking outside. Bye.